Today's passage, um, Philippians 3, uses the metaphor of a race to describe the Christian life. Uh, Would you look with me once again at verses 13 and 14? This is what Paul says, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here, as Paul likens the Christian life to a race, uh, there are two important exhortations that I want to focus our attention on. And just simply, those two exhortations are first, forgetting what lies behind, and second, pressing on ahead. First, forgetting what lies behind, and second, pressing on ahead. Let's get right into it. First, forgetting what lies behind. Um, You know, one of the earliest things that a runner is trained to do is to never look over um, his or her shoulder. And that's because looking back may potentially cost you time. Looking back may uh, cause you to lose focus. And looking back may communicate to the other competitors that you are intimidated. You know, if you're ever running a race and you see a runner in front of you look over their shoulder, you know that that is your time to strike. Now, not looking over your shoulder, this may sound uh, easy, but in the heat of a race, when you start to hear footsteps behind you, when you're not sure how much distance there is between you and the other runners, when your legs become heavy, and your body becomes tired, there's a real temptation to want to glance back. Now, Paul, in today's passage, is actually using this metaphor of a race because the same is true for the Christian life. Paul is saying, as a Christian, looking back can be counterproductive or worse it can be dangerous. Now, I have to explain what Paul means by, you know, forgetting what lies behind. I have to explain what what he means when he says, hey, forget everything that happened in the past. Okay? What Paul isn't saying is, he isn't saying, hey, forget everything that God has done. Okay? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, forget the works of God in your life, forget His faithfulness, forget His goodness to you. That is not what Paul is saying. But what he is saying is this. Forget your past. Forget both your mistakes and your merits. Forget both your tragedies and your trophies. Paul is saying, when he's saying forget everything that's in the past, what he's actually saying is forget about your failures and forget about your victories. You know, this language of forgetting what lies behind, this actually isn't hypothetical talk for Paul. He's actually speaking out of experience. First, let's let's talk about failures. We know that Paul has a really dark past. Paul was notorious for persecuting Christians and and jailing uh, other believers. He was actually the one overseeing 
the execution of the church's earliest deacon, Stephen. In other words, Paul was responsible for Stephen's death. Paul, he was a man who terrorized the church. And you can imagine that Paul, even years after his conversion, still being haunted by his past mistakes. Every time he met a deacon, did not crippling thoughts of Stephen come to mind? How can it not? And whenever he visited new churches, I mean, you could just imagine someone in the crowd thinking, who is he to tell us what we should do or believe? This guy has no right to be a Christian missionary. Now, I can imagine Paul wrestling with his past every night, wondering, should I just step down? Am I too big of a stumbling block for other Christians? And further, Paul was probably tempted on a nightly basis to revisit his past, to revisit those vivid scenes and try to change the outcome, try to redo his mistakes so that they no longer have ripple effects in the the present. You see, Paul knows what it's like to be haunted by the past. See, this is the context. But even so, as Paul is examining his own Christian walk, and as he's exhorting us in our Christian walk, he's telling us, do not look to the past, and do not allow the sins and the mistakes of your past to control you. You know, as a Christian, um, one of the ways to diagnose whether the gospel has really impacted your life is to see how much of your identity do you find still in your past sins. If you really want to know how much of the gospel has really impacted my life, you have to examine how much of my identity is still rooted in my past mistakes. Friends, has the gospel really freed you from the mistakes that you've made in the past. Whether it be uh, failed relationships, failures in marriage, uh, failures in school, careers, whether it be sexual brokenness. Has the gospel, has the good news of Jesus loosened the shackles of your past failures? Or do you find yourself constantly looking back being filled with regret? And are you in the present trying to atone for your past mistakes? If so, would you once again this morning hear the good news? The good news that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, Scripture tells us that as far as the East is from the West, That is how far God has removed our sins from us. Or, you know, friends, if you just simply find yourself just revisiting the past, if you frequently just go back to the past, desperately desiring to change the outcome of your failures, if you're going back trying to rewrite your own story, 
Friends, it may be that you haven't fully trusted in the goodness and faithfulness of God. You know, if with your mouth you're saying, the Lord is my shepherd, but in your heart you're dissatisfied with the way the Lord has led you, let me remind you again that the Lord, His work is perfect, and all of His ways are just. You see, Paul was like all of us. He had to make a conscious effort to stop looking back to the past, stop replaying in his mind his mistakes and failures. And now, as a fellow runner, he's coaching us to also not do the same. You know, there's a well-known saying, um, you can't go back and change the beginning. But you can start where you're at, and you can change the ending. This is what Paul is getting at. Don't let the mistakes of the past cripple you in the present. Now, when Paul says, hey, forget everything that's behind you, he's not only talking about regrets and mistakes, but he's also talking about successes and victories. If you recall earlier in chapter 3, um, Paul, he lists all of his accomplishments. And my, his resume is impressive. I mean, Paul wasn't just an up-and-comer. He was someone who had arrived. He had someone who had arrived at a young age. I mean, think of, um, think of Mark Zuckerberg, right? The founder and CEO of Facebook. A young success story with, with actual uh, personality and charisma. Right? Paul, in many ways, he was the total package and the subject of envy to all young Jewish men. But do you remember what he says regarding his past successes? He says, whatever I considered gain, I now consider loss. Now, this was as a Jew. What about you know, after his conversion as a Christian? Well, Paul, he was no slouch either in that as a Christian. Paul, he becomes an apostle among apostles. He becomes a forerunner in Christian missions. He's a successful church planter and a writer. I mean, Paul is in many ways the ideal theologian. He is the ideal missionary. He is the ideal writer. He is the ideal pastor. I mean, he, Paul, he is the LeBron James of the early church. But even to his successes, Paul says, I'm forgetting that too. I'm not only forgetting my mistakes, but I'm also forgetting my merits. I'm letting go of my tragedies, but I'm also letting go of my past trophies. You know, most likely um, in life, you've probably encountered someone, whether it be a friend or a family member or a coworker, who lived their entire life through the prism of past success. You probably encountered someone like that. Someone who's living their life through the rearview mirror. Someone who's just living off the dividends of past success. 
whether it's a uh, washed-up athlete who was once a star of a small town but never really made much of himself, or uh, a lazy family member who was told at a young age, you're a genius, you're a genius, and maybe because of those expectations, never really applied himself or herself. Or, or that delusional coworker who thinks his commitment to the company for the past 15 years who thinks that his commitment to the company 15 years ago is worth anything now. I mean, we've all seen and witnessed how people glorying in past success actually become delusional, lazy, and entitled. And you know, this is not just the case when it comes, this is not just the case in life. But it happens to the Christian all the time. How many Christians have we encountered, or we as a Christian, are we now living off the dividends of past victories? You know, I can't tell you the countless number of Christians who shared with me how in the past they were so fervent for the Lord, as if that excused their lukewarmness in the present. You know, I've encountered so many parents who show very little commitment to corporate worship, yet they want to baptize their child, and so they tell me about all the mission trips they attended when they were in youth group. Or maybe just an older Christian, a more seasoned Christian, standing off on the sidelines now with their arms crossed, just thinking, hey, I've been there and I've done that. I'm past this point. Oh, this living off of past success, we find it in, most, in more reprehensible ways. I mean, how often do we excuse the sins of today because of yesterday's victory? How often do we overlook our laziness because we've labored so hard in the past? How often do we use fruitful ministry in the past to give us a free pass in the present? And how often do we use righteousness in the past as a green light for licentiousness in the present? Friends, I want you to know that what Paul is saying here is that the Christian life isn't about wins and losses. The Christian life isn't about you know, a win column and a loss column where if you have enough wins, you can just take some losses. It's okay. No, Paul describes the Christian life as a race. You know, interestingly, in a race, you know, the only thing that matters is what's ahead. In a race, it doesn't matter if we've had 10 good strides or 10 bad strides in the past. The past is the past. And the only thing that matters is what is ahead. This is why Paul says the Christian life is like a race. Don't look back. Look ahead. Press on. Strain forward. Which now brings us to our second exhortation. Paul says, I don't look back, but I strain forward. Now, as we talked about, here is Paul, a man with lots of accolades. He's got tons of accomplishments. He's done so much to advance the kingdom. But at this moment, 
uh, Paul, he is writing this letter, and he's in jail. Now, any normal person, I think, with this history of fruitful labor would be tempted to think, okay, you know what? I'm done now. I'm hanging everything up. I just want to ride off into the sunset. But that's not the mentality that Paul has. As he considers his present circumstance, he says this, I'm forgetting everything that happened in the past. In other words, I'm not resting in my past accomplishments or I'm not being crippled by my past mistakes. And then he says this, I'm straining forward. I'm pressing on towards the goal. You know, this language of press on that Paul uses actually belongs uh, to the world of a hunter rather than an athlete. This word press on properly means to, uh, to pursue or to chase down or to hunt down. Now, what Paul is doing is, is he's mixing metaphors here. He's mixing the metaphor of a race with the metaphor of a hunter. And he's mixing these metaphors to get his point across. You see, when he talks about the Christian life as a race, and when it comes to straining forward, pressing onwards, you know, he says, you know what? We need to be like a hunter. You know, to communicate this active pursuing that the gospel is calling us to do. He says, it's not just enough to be a runner, but we need to be a hunter. We need to pursue and strain forward. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, what is Paul talking about? What is he pressing on towards? I mean, if everything, if even after everything that Paul has accomplished, if he's saying that, you know, he's straining forward, I mean, what is he actually trying to achieve? What is he trying to attain, right? How many more churches does he have to plant? Or how many more converts does he have to win? Well, I want you to know that Paul's goal this, this goal that he's straining for isn't a certain number of churches or conversions. In other words, Paul's goal isn't numeric. Rather, his goal is intimacy. If, if you look with me in verse 10, this is what he says. And this is his stated goal. That I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, share in his suffering, Become like him in his death and attain the resurrection from the dead. You see, this is Paul's goal. This is what he's straining towards. To know Jesus in every possible way. You see, for Paul, the goal in this Christian race isn't about accomplishments for the kingdom. But it's about knowing Jesus more and more in a real intimate way. Knowing him not just in his exaltation, but knowing him in his humility. Knowing him not just in his resurrection, but also knowing him in his suffering and his death. Now, when I first became a Christian, um, this is the verse that I fell in love with. Philippians uh, 3.10 And the reason why I fell in love with this verse is because I think this verse, the the progression that we find in this verse, mirrors what the Christian life should look like. You know, the first thing that Paul mentions in verse 10 is this, I want to know Jesus 
and the power of his resurrection. And yes, this is how we first encounter Jesus, right? We know him in his resurrection as we are brought from death to life. As we taste eternal life, we taste the power of his resurrection. But you know, it doesn't end there. When we get there, then we progress onward. We get the privilege of knowing Jesus and his suffering. You know, when you develop a uh, deep relationship with someone, right, you first get to know the person uh, in his or her strength, right? You become enamored with their gifts, their power in a sense. But as the relationship deepens, you get to know them in their suffering. And for those of you who've been in an intimate relationship, you know that this is not a bad thing. To share in someone else's suffering is actually a beautiful thing. You know, when you share in someone else's suffering, it means that there is a oneness, a vulnerableness. There's intimacy. And Paul says that this is a privilege for the Christian. We get to share in Jesus' suffering. This is what we should pursue. You know, I think this really changes how we view suffering. We start to view suffering or sharing in Jesus' suffering not as something that we have to avoid at all cost, but it's something that we should welcome. Because in sharing in Jesus' suffering, we know Jesus more and we get to become like him more. You know, I, I remember when I uh, really started to understand the gospel and, and I really held on to this verse. You know, this, is, this was one of my first prayers. I started to pray, God, I want to know you not just in the power of your resurrection, but I want to know you also in your suffering. I want to share in your suffering. And I think the Lord answered this by uh, sending me to ELM. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. But seriously, if you feel like um, in any way that you've been stagnant in your Christian race, if you feel like you haven't really been growing in knowledge of Him, you know, I challenge you to pray this. I challenge you to pray, Jesus, I want to know you in your suffering. I want to share in your suffering for the gospel cause. That is a prayer that He will certainly answer. See, this is the goal, to know Jesus in a deeper and deeper way. Now, it doesn't just end with suffering because the next level of intimacy that he mentions is to become like Jesus in his death. Now, again, some of you might be taken back by this, thinking, wow, isn't suffering enough? Why do we have to become like Jesus in his death? Well, once again, the goal for Paul is intimacy. He wants to know Jesus. He wants to be close to Jesus in every possible way. It doesn't matter the circumstance. It doesn't matter the situation. He just wants more of Jesus. Not just Jesus in his resurrection, but Jesus in his suffering and Jesus in his death. You know, yesterday I, um, I had a chance to, uh, to witness this, to get a small glimpse of what this looks like. Uh, 
As I shared in an email uh, with our congregation last night, uh, our beloved sister and friend, Ashley Hun, passed away. And uh, hours before she passed away, uh, we were able to have a bedside service with close family members. So we gathered, um, we once again looked at scripture, setting our hope upon the gospel promises. And when the service was over, uh, Ashley's husband, John, he stood up and he leaned his cheek upon Ashley's cheek. Now, mind you, at this time, Ashley, she's connected to all sorts of machines. She's hooked up to a ventilator. She's got hoses and wires just all over her. She's near death. And, you know, John, because of COVID, he actually has a mask on. And so, I mean, picture this, a man, you know, John, a brother with a mask on, pressing his cheek onto his wife with wires and hoses everywhere. You know, in that moment, I can feel John deeply desiring to not just share in Ashley's suffering, but deeply desiring to know her even in her death. He desired to be so intimate with Ashley, to know her more and more and more, to be closer to her more and more and more. You know, that picture of our brother John pressing, leaning his cheek upon his wife's cheek as she's nearing death, and as tears rolled down his eyes, that was John. I want to know you. I want to be close to you even in death. You know, this is what Paul says the Christian life is like. This is what he says the Christian goal ought to be. To know Jesus in the power of his resurrection. To share in his suffering. To become like him in his death. And after all of this is over, the last thing he mentions in verse 10 is to somehow attain the resurrection from the dead. Friends, this is the summary of the Christian life. This is uh, the goalpost, shall I say. This is the race we are called to run. Forgetting what lies behind and pressing onward to know Jesus in a more deeper, intimate way. You know, as we think about what the Christian life is about. As we, as our, you know, as, you know, our, our thoughts about the Christian life is reframed, re- reworked, to think that it's less about accomplishments for the kingdom and more about intimacy for Jesus. Friends, let me encourage you this morning to continue to pursue intimacy and knowledge of your Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know how long you've been a Christian. I don't know your past successes and your past failures. But regarding the past, that is gone. Don't let the failures define you and don't let your success change you. And will you just allow this goal of knowing Jesus more and more propel you forward? Will you allow the gospel 
to actually define who you are and give you the strength and the courage to move you forward. You know, regarding the future, each new day is a new step forward. And so I challenge you and encourage you to go forward more and more. Like a hunter, will you pursue Jesus more and more? Will you pursue intimacy with him and his resurrection and his suffering and even in his death until we all have finished the race and are called home? Would you join me in prayer at this time?